Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 12, (laughs) (laughs) chapter chapter 15, 15, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I had breakfast with my friend Jeremy Peters the other day, and Jeremy has served in the Detroit Conference as a pastor for the past 11 years. His first year of ministry he spent in England serving a circuit of seven churches. You can imagine that he has a lot of good stories about that. The one he shared with me the other day uh, is very appropriate to our conversation. He received a phone call from the BBC about a week before Martin Luther King Day. They asked him if he would be available on the holiday that they could call him and he could be a part of their radio broadcast and um, speak. And he said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So the day came, and he called in to the radio station, and you know, when you're just sitting in your room by yourself on the phone talking to the radio host, it's a little bizarre. You can't read their facial expressions. You don't know what they're getting at always. And of course, the whole time that you're speaking, your voice is being broadcast to millions. So it was a little awkward. And then the radio host began the conversation that was being broadcast and said, You are an American. Martin Luther King said he had a dream. How is that going? Can you imagine a 25-year-old white man being tasked with the job of reporting to England on where the U.S. stood on civil rights and equality? Today I feel a little like Jeremy did. Who am I to stand up here and talk about Selma? Who am I, an almost 40-year-old woman, born after the civil rights movement, to stand up and speak to my largely white congregation and say where we are and where we need to be? I told Pastor Rick from the beginning, the first time I ever saw the trailer for Selma, I said, we have to go see that. That needs to be part of our CUMCU at the movies series. But I had no idea how hard it would be to try and write a sermon on it. I knew we should see it. 
Cinema has the powerful ability to help us revisit the past, glimpse our future, use our imaginations. In this circumstance, I knew the movie would challenge us to talk about things we don't often talk about and to examine our past in light of our present. When the staff sat down and discussed all the movie possibilities we had for the sermon series, we knew that if the church was going to the movies together while Selma is in the theaters, we quite frankly had a responsibility to ensure that it was part of the series. Since I was the one to preach on this movie, I saw it twice. I was disturbed by the violence. I found myself feeling angry and sad throughout the movie, all the while feeling inspired by O'Yellow-O's portrayal of Dr. King. Many times throughout the movie, I cringed and went to shield my eyes, not wanting to see the brutality, the dreadful violence of people young and old being beat for exercising their freedom and demanding that the right to vote be given them. But I watched because I simply can't avoid the reality of our history and its implications for our present and future. I liked the movie. I liked seeing people that existed in legend and books for me portrayed up on the screen. I liked learning more about Representative John Lewis's early days and how we became a part of the civil rights movement. I had a friend who just posted yesterday that he, a picture of himself with John Lewis, and it was just so apropos to see this picture on Facebook. I knew about Reverend Ralph Abernathy, but I didn't realize how he served as more than a leader to the movement and more than a friend to Dr. King. He served as King's pastor and confidant. I appreciated that the movie didn't shy away from the struggles of the king's marriage. And I was discomforted by what Mrs. King spoke of as the haze of death that hung over their family as she and Dr. King both knew this movement would end with his death. I also found myself embarrassed by my ignorance. I didn't know about Reverend James Reeb a white pastor from Boston who traveled to Selma to be part of the march. I didn't know that he was beaten and killed while in Selma because of his activism. I didn't know about Jimmy Lee Jackson who was shot and killed after a night march while he was trying to protect his 82-year-old grandfather from being beaten by the police because they participated in the march for voting rights. I cried at the end when the screen said that Jackson's grandfather was the first in his family to vote at the age of 84, a promise his grandson had made him. I didn't learn a lot about the civil rights movement in school. I suppose it was because it was too recent of a history or maybe because people were afraid to talk about it. There was no Black History Month, and we went to school on MLK's birthday, although there was one teacher in my elementary school. When I was in fifth grade, she had her class stay in to hear a radio rebroadcast of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech on his birthday. I was the class's safety, so she invited me to it to stay and listen to. But my friend Nidra, who was the other safety in the class, stayed home that day with her family in honor of King's birthday. 
I've done a lot of reading and thinking on the subject of racism, civil rights, and race relations in America. The first church that I served under appointment was a multicultural church in Detroit, and I found myself confronting my own white privilege and assumptions. I was eager to see this movie. But all the while, as I sat and watched Selma, I found myself wondering, where would I have been? Would I have had the courage to speak out, the courage to march? I don't know. I'd like to think so, but I fear that I would have been afraid. See, I've been quiet. I've barely addressed issues that have angered me, saddened me, and scared me today. It's been easy to avoid them, to gloss over them, because they haven't had any direct direct effect that I know of on our congregation. I've been afraid to talk about Ferguson and Trayvon Martin and other incidents of race and violence. I've been afraid that my words would offend you, not realizing perhaps that my silence has offended you also. It's not okay to stay silent. It's not okay for people to not feel safe in our country because of the color of their skin. It's not okay for the police force to feel that they are also under attack. It's not okay to view anyone as less than a child of God. We can talk about all the issues around law enforcement and race relationship, and there are smart people on all sides who are afraid and who have strong opinions. The bottom line is there are still inequalities in our society that need to be overcome. The work is not done. That's what I've been thinking about since the movie. I wonder what it stirred in you. Several times as I watched Selma, I felt emotional. The one that got me the most was near the end. The assistant attorney general, I think that's who it was, was talking with Dr. King, and the march was finally going to happen, and there was great concern for King's safety. The AAG was trying to encourage King to ride into the end of the march in a car and not to speak on the steps of the Capitol. He told King that once the group was marching in the rural areas, the government couldn't guarantee his safety. The AAG said to Dr. King, "'Don't you want to protect yourself? Live to see the fruit of your labors.'" Allow us to help you. King responded, I am no different than anybody else. But I'll not be focused on what I want, but on what God wants. There are going to be a lot of storms, but today the sun is out, and today I am standing in the sun's warmth with freedom-loving people. I may not have many days to come, but as long as there is light for them, it's worth it to me. And he marched. Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. There comes a point in all of our faith when God leads those who are receptive to do something. For some, it's a true sacrifice, for some, it can lead to death, for others, it's not as complex. God guided King in leading a movement that would ensure the lives and futures of God's people. Dr. King knew where his life was leading him. He too knew the haze of death that hovered over his family over and over again throughout the movie. I was overcome by how it was his faith that led him there. One movie reviewer wrote, in O'Yellow's excellent performance, King becomes a complex, flawed man whose faith in God kept him from utter despair. 
when Mrs. King expressed her fear to her husband, her concerns about his safety and the safety of their children, Dr. King called Mahalia Jackson on the phone and said, I need to hear the Lord's voice. And she sang to him, Precious Lord, take my hand. And he sat in the darkness, listening, praying, finding strength. In a jail cell, as they sat in frustration and doubt, Pastor Abernathy whispered the words of Matthew 6 to Dr. King, reminding him that if God cares so much for the birds of the air, God will take care of him. Rock by rock, they will build something new. It is no secret why the civil rights movement was born in the church. It is in the church when we are together as a body that God speaks, that God calls us to action, that God leads us and commissions us to build the kingdom, the kingdom that is meant to be on earth as it is in heaven, where the hungry are fed, the broken are healed, the ostracized are welcome, where everyone is living into the reality that they are beloved children of God. It is in the church that we are led to do something, We are called to sacrifice, to give up something that we hold dear in order to make God's will a reality. The church was the center of the civil rights movement because it was out of their faith that they acted in a peace to accomplish all that they did. It was the church that sent them out and welcomed them home. It was the church that the marchers returned to after they had been brutally beat on Bloody Sunday. They returned to be patched up physically and spiritually in the one place that gave them sanctuary, safety, and hope. The church today is called to do the same. In our church, one of the ways that we are trying to make a change to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven is through educating ourselves as those who come alongside people living in poverty. If, you, if we truly want to make lives better, We need to understand. Have you taken the Bridges Out of Poverty class yet? You should. In this class, Mary Gladstone Highland opened my eyes to poverty in a whole new way. I learned so much that I'm requiring our high school uh, youth and adults who are going to be going on righteous mission to take the class, and Mary will be coming to teach it during youth group in March. She offers the class often. You should take it. It will help you to understand the assumptions that we make as middle class people, assumptions that can keep us from truly helping and understanding and working with the people to make life better. It might inspire you to hear how God is calling you to do something and do it. And if that does in fact happen, we, your church, will have your back. Because we are your church, and that is our job. It means that we support you when God calls you to go, just like you've been supporting me these past few weeks as we've been coming into the reality that we will be going in July. It means that we pray for each other, just like we pray for every mission team trip, every mission trip team that we send out, we pray for them. It means that we support each other financially like you do for Erica Kale and for her calling to help the children of Honduras. It means that we join in your dream as we have joined David Kaufman in building personal energy transportation machines for those living in third world countries who do not have the ability to walk. It means that we encourage our young people who set their sights on traveling to Costa Rica to feed the hungry and make lives better. And it means that we hold you up and we pick you up when things don't go as planned. 
Church can be for you a place to come and rest and start your week outright. It can be a place to come and see your friends and have a quiet moment with God. Or the church can be the body of Christ who hears God's voice compelling us to do something, to sacrifice, to bring God's kingdom. Our church should be no different than the churches of the civil rights movement. God is still calling us to build the kingdom, to pray, to be the place of sanctuary and hope. And God is still using the church to call God's disciples to do something. So what does God need to do through you? What is the something that God wants you to do? Where is God leading you? What are you going to do to ensure that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven? What are you willing to stake your life on? Your church has your back. Let us pray. Speak to us, O God. Unsettle us, challenge us. May we hear your voice. And may we have the courage to do something. Amen.